Slot. He is the most targeted receiver. He's looking that way. He'll throw the ball to the end zone. Caught! That's Atwell. Touchdown! This is the High Motor Podcast. Andrew Dowdy, Chase Kitty with episode number three of this six-episode series, breaking down college football conferences ahead of the 2020 season. Now we're sitting here. I mean, you and I are talking on Saturday, but this will air on Monday. Even then, we're going to be under three weeks until week zero is supposed to kick off. And every time we talk here, opening the show, it feels like I'm saying the same exact thing where every time we talk, every three or four days, there's been some major college football announcement. Obviously, uh, right now we're just on the wake of the MAC announcement, and there seems to be some rumors uh, that the Power Five here could follow shortly. But as of right now, we still have a few games planned for week zero, which still feels bizarre to me that we're only three weeks out, and my level of excitement is extremely low. Extremely low. Normally, I'd be pretty fired up. Normally, at this time with three weeks to go, I'm still at the point where I'll believe it when they actually do kick off. When Missouri State, Oklahoma kicks off, Kansas, Southern Illinois, SMU, Texas State, among those three week zero games, where are you at right now? I mean, we're three weeks out from the season. Normally, you and I would be on here fired the fuck up about college football. Where are you at now compared to where you'd normally be three weeks from a season? Uh, the, when we recorded the last episode, I was still pretty excited. It really is starting to feel like it's it's all like crashing down from the bottom. Slowly. Very yeah, slowly. And it's, it's really starting to feel uh, like it's inevitable. I, I'm not, I, I'm curious, you know, we've got today's episode and then three more of these previews to record after this. I'm wondering if we're going to get to the end and still have college football. Uh, my, my own alma mater was suspended their fall season yesterday. The FCS has kind of come crashing down here in the last 24 hours while we're recording this on Saturday. So I, I don't, I don't know. I have no idea what's going to happen. Obviously I'm going to, I'm going to remain hopeful and, uh, bl- blissfully, dumbly optimistic until there is just, you know, no other option in front of us, but it, it's starting to feel a little different. So for now we're proceeding as if there will be a season with, the teams that we still have remaining with UConn out, nobody gives a shit with the Mac out. I'm not going to say nobody gives a shit, but I still think we're above that threshold for having a college football season. So we're still going to proceed like we are having a college football season with the other, what do we have? 117, I think teams with the Mac and UConn, 117 teams still planning on playing the college football season as of now. So this is going to be the ACC episode of the conference preview series. The ACC does not open in week zero, like I mentioned, they don't even open in week one. That 11-game schedule that they revealed, I think it was last week or about a week and a half ago, 10 conference games, one non-conference game. That's scheduled to begin September 12th, week two, or what is normally week two. I have no idea what it's actually going to be called this year. Notre Dame, a full temporary member, if you somehow missed that news, playing 10 ACC games, competing for the ACC championship. All of their games that normally don't count five or six games each year, that normally don't count in the ACC standings, they count this year. So they'll be included in this ACC preview. So 15 teams to talk about this season. And we're going to start where we started the first two episodes, the Big 12 and the Pac-12 episodes, in case you missed those. 
with the worst good team in the ACC. Chase, where are you drawing that line in this conference? Because I mean, we know there's a drop-off after Clemson. Even with Notre Dame in this conversation, I'm not sure how much they'll come up here with the worst good team. We know that Notre Dame factors somewhere into the different drop-offs within the conference. Where is the good drop-off in the ACC this season? Yeah, so I'll just take you through my whole math on this. I I, I made two groups. I made, uh, if you go back to the first episode, we talked about sort of two drop-offs. There's the sort of the top where it drops off to the middle, and then the middle where it kind of drops off to the teams we don't care about anymore. Uh, so my my top group that I drew here is Clemson kind of gets its own status. I think we all understand that. And then Notre Dame, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, and Louisville. So I think those are all going to be solidly good this year. Yeah, I'm pretty confident with that. And based on how uh, I've been defining this, both you and I have been defining these worst good teams for the first two episodes, again, Big 12 and Pac-12, staying on that same path, I think going right. down after those five, I keep going down, and I think I land on I think I land on Pittsburgh. because I, That's the one I have. No yeah. kidding! Yeah, yeah. Okay, great. Shall we move on? Well, I th- should we explain it a little bit? So I think there's a big gap in a couple places between Clemson and whoever whoever you believe is the second best team in that conference. In a normal year without Notre Dame, I think it would be Virginia Tech going into the season, North Carolina not much farther behind them, and then Louisville not much farther behind North Carolina, and then Notre Dame wherever you want to put them in there. The first gap there, I think, is Clemson to whomever you believe is next. And even with Notre Dame, I don't think it changes that gap that much. Uh, and then gap two, what we talked about, is after those three teams, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Louisville, then you go down to this bucket, I think, of five teams. I think it's Virginia, Wake, Miami, Florida State, and Pittsburgh. And then after that, you have another gap down to Syracuse, Boston College, NC State, Georgia, uh, excuse me, Georgia Tech, and Duke. And none of those five teams, in my opinion, against Syracuse, BC, NC State, Duke, and Georgia Tech, none of those five teams are good and should be considered good. I cannot see an argument for for any of those five teams actually being good teams this year. Those teams are all in the, again, going off of what we started with the Big 12, those teams are all in the the Texas Tech, the West Virginia ballpark. They're not in the Kansas ballpark of being awful, but they're in the same ballpark as Texas Tech, West Virginia being not awful, but also not good. So I think the worst good team here is Pittsburgh. I, I worry about some things with that team. I worry about... They're having a lack of like all ACC caliber talent, but I think there's enough higher end talent coming back. I like in the trenches a little bit enough to say that I think Pittsburgh will kind of live in that same ballpark, seven to eight wins that they've now lived in for the last two years and most of the last decade. Yeah, I I totally agree with everything you just said, even down to the sort of breaking down the, the different tiers of where teams live. I think if I wanted to nitpick, I I've seen some arguments. I'm not, I don't think I'm going to buy into them, but it's worth at least bringing up. Some people are really high on Georgia Tech this year. Now, when I say really high, I mean relative to where they were last year. That I think a lot of people think Georgia Tech is going to compete in that middle ground this year. Uh, I would like to see it before I go there. I'm personally really low on UVA. I think they're going to lose too much, and I think they're going to drop down into the bottom portion of the conference, at least for this year. Uh, but... I totally agree that Pitt is the worst good team. Absolutely. Wait, going back, so do you think UVA is good, or do you have UVA not? Like I said, I have that that group of five teams there with Wake and Miami, etc. Do you think that UVA is not even in that group? I don't think they're in that group. I think they're going to be not very good this year. 
So do you think that they're in that bottom group, like I said, Syracuse, Boston College, NC State, Duke, and Georgia Tech, even though you're not totally buying into the Georgia Tech argument, I don't I don't see that at all, honestly. I like Jeff Collins, and I think it's just going to take a little bit of time. Whenever you're moving away from a system like Georgia Tech has ha- had for so long yeah. under Paul Johnson, and the even though they're not running the triple option anymore, the perception of the recruiting is that Georgia Tech ran that for so long that they don't really know I mean, like, how do they how do they go out and recruit a tight end? Like, last year was the first time they had a tight end on the roster, and I think Paul Johnson was there in, like, 07 or 08, somewhere around there. So there's still this perception of Georgia Tech runs a triple option, even though it's not true. Therefore, why would you even commit somewhere where you don't even know how they're going to use a certain position, even though you can go back and look at offensive coordinator and system and all that kind of stuff? So I don't even see that argument. Anyways, do you think Virginia is in that same group with those five teams then I do yeah I I think I mean I trust the coaching staff I think I, I think it's going to be a one-year thing but yeah I don't think they're going to be very good this year I think they'll be toward the bottom of the conference I think they're they're toward the top of that bottom little group that we've built there uh, I don't think they're going to be truly awful or anything but I do think they'll they'll probably be under 500 this year yeah all right let's shift to dark horses then since we have a pretty good agreement on worst good team and I think this is Harder in the ACC because Clemson owns the Atlantic. They have owned the Atlantic. They're owned the Atlantic this year and the only Atlantic moving forward for the foreseeable future unless there's a major change there. Nobody else is coming out of the Atlantic. Not this year, not next year, probably not in 2022. In a non-virus year and if the Mike Norvell lying incident hadn't happened about talking to his players, I'm probably taking Florida State to be a dark horse but not to win the division. I'm taking them as a dark horse contender to win 9 or 10 games in a normal 12-game schedule in a normal year. I think with the virus, I think with the dust-up of Mike Norvell, I'm not taking them to do that if if it were even a normal year with what was going on. But I don't think that this was the the right offseason for Florida State and Norvell to fix all their on-the-field problems. I would like to revisit them next year as a possible dark horse again, not to necessarily even challenge Clemson in the division, but to get up in that ballpark of being a nine-win regular season team. I'm going to stay in the Atlantic, though, because even though I don't think anybody else is coming out of there, in the Coastal, I think the gap between North Carolina, Virginia Tech, and everybody else is too much for me to really call a dark horse beyond them. Because if you're saying North Carolina is going to win that division or Virginia Tech is going to win that division, that's not a dark horse. I don't see that at all. If you want to say one of those two teams are actually going to compete for the ACC championship and beat Clemson, different story. But I don't think you can call either of those teams a dark horse and the gap is too big in a division that, yeah, I get it. It's been completely wide open for the last decade. I think the gap is too big to actually call a dark horse beyond those two teams in that division. So anyways, staying in the Atlantic, I think it's Louisville. I have no concern for that offense. I think Louisville is going to be fine on that side of the ball. Almost 80% of their production is back for a already solid offense that just needed about a year to gel Mike Norvell's system. Defensively, I get it. I will not really make that strong of an argument for Louisville's defense. There are still issues. I like Brian Brown a lot. I like what he did at App State. I have trust in him to an extent. I think that's what keeps Louisville from being a real threat to, how do I say this, run the the non-Clemson table. Mm. I think if they had a better defense, Louisville could actually run the table with the exception of the Clemson game this year or in a normal year. I think that alone keeps them as a dark horse. I mean, it's only been one year, but I think we're probably on the same page with this. I really trust Scott Satterfield. We talked about Chris Kleiman, I mean, every single week, but I think it was during the Big 12 episode, how last year didn't feel like year one for Chris Kleiman. 
Last year did not feel like a year one for Scott Satterfield. That felt like a year two or year three or year four, given what he picked up from Bobby Petrino. I think Louisville takes another huge step forward this year. Again, they're not going to win the division. They're not going to challenge for the division. But I think they are going to exceed expectations big time again. I think that qualifies as a dark horse. Uh, I broke this down really similarly to you uh, again in this category. And I kind of had six one half a dozen the other for Florida State and Louisville. And I was looking for a deciding factor on which way to lean. Uh, I, I am... In recent years, I've been intrigued by sort of buying stock early on first-year coaches. I think we've seen a pretty nice trend now over several years of coaches being able to come in in year one and not just not just make an impact, not just change things around, but get to very high heights in a very short amount of time. So I, I don't have any trouble buying in to, to, to first-not first-time head coaches, but like this is year one for head coach X. So I have no problem looking at Florida State. I have no problem uh, going in that direction. But I was looking for a, a tiebreaker, kind of. And this might be a dumb tiebreaker, uh, but it's it was the last detail that I came to when trying to figure out which way to lean here. I kind of... Tr- I think the Florida coronavirus thing, honestly, could could be a problem for a couple of those college football teams. Now, I know when you look... At Tallahassee, that's probably a different environment than like a Miami or a Tampa. But I could see Florida State having some coronavirus problems, some positives, assuming we get to a season that maybe impacts a couple of games based on what's happened with the testing down there. So as ridiculous as a reason to pick a team as this is, I'm inclined to lean toward Louisville over Florida State when I like both of them as a as a potential dark horse uh, because of something like that. Is that crazy? No, I don't think it's crazy, and I, I just want to make sure that, and I know this isn't what you mean. We're, we've talked about the virus and what happens if there are positive tests and what happens if like, the example would keep going back to, what if the entire Clemson offensive line is out. I, I, I think that some people might react to your opinion and saying, how can you even project that that's going to happen? That is going to happen to some teams. Yeah. Obviously, we don't have a damn clue where that's going to happen, but I don't think that's out of line. I mean, seeing their governor be completely incompetent in handling this, I don't think it's unreasonable to say if if it's been that bad in this state, there could be reason to believe it would be that bad for a football program. Yeah, football teams live in, in the communities that they're in, right? So they're not like immune to what's going on around them just because they're football players. And also, I'm going to speak for you here because I think it's also a point that I would like to make. We don't know, like, we're not in the Florida State program. We don't know exactly how they're handling this. We do know that these schools, that I mean, like, University of Texas released a a mandate saying that all on-campus and off-campus parties are banned this year. There is no way that they can enforce it. There's no way that they will enforce it. Off-campus parties will happen at Texas and at Florida State and Miami and every other school across the country. So there are going to be players that make dumb decisions. We've seen that in baseball. We've seen the Cardinals go out. We've seen the Marlins go out and bring back these outbreaks to their clubhouses. That's going to happen in college football. We don't know which teams. We don't know to what extent. So it's not even a matter of you saying that Florida State's going to go out and do this. You're simply saying that the odds are not in their favor. Yeah, in this absolutely. It's. I mean, Florida State might have, for all I know, the most comprehensive testing program in the history of college football. You know, healthcare. 
I, I don't know. I, I don't, I almost think that it, to some degree, it doesn't even matter because you, you have, you have 19 and 20 year old kids that are back at college after being tucked away, like in their houses for six months, assuming they're back on campus. There, it's, it's Florida State. There's gonna be parties. There's gonna be stuff going on. So the, the idea that we're gonna successfully close off college kids in a state where it, it feels like right now nothing is successfully closed off is just kind of silly. And, and I, I don't, I don't have a problem wondering out loud if that is gonna have some sort of impact. Obviously, I, I, I hope everybody's okay. I, I don't want, you know, mm. I'm not wishing anything negative on anybody. I just feel like you have to recognize the reality at some point. Can you see, I can't see any other case for a dark horse in this conference. I really can't. I'm not even as high on North Carolina as most other people are. I'm probably a little bit higher on Virginia Tech than most people, but I'm not even like that high on those teams where I think that everybody else in the coastal has no chance, but I can't see a case for another dark horse here. I don't see the case for a Miami or a Pittsburgh or I mean, if you're that high on Virginia, I, I can't see a case in either division outside of those two teams. Can you see any other argument? No. Let's move on to irrelevancy then. Here, I, I can really only see the case for one team as well. It has to be Boston College. It's definitely Boston College. I mean, they were a very steady program under Adazio. This isn't, we talked about the Pac-12, Colorado and Oregon State. There, there's a difference between uh, wins and losses and competitive irrelevancy and then just general national relevancy. That's why we, we came to, I originally said that I think Kansas is the most irrelevant program in the Big 12, but I kind of came around to seeing your argument that it doesn't really matter about the wins and losses that Kansas has been so bad that they're actually irrelevant. They're not actually that irrelevant, whereas Texas Tech is. In this case for Boston College, they haven't been the worst ACC program since they joined the conference. I mean, they were a really steady, consistent program under Adazio and haven't been truly bad for long stretches in almost 20 or 30 years, but it's still Boston College. They're like a better I don't know, like a better Vanderbilt. Like they're not the worst team on the field. And I would I would listen to any argument. I put them in those bottom five teams in the conference this year. I'd listen to any argument that they'll be better than four, at least four other ACC teams this year. Who gives a shit about Boston College? Like, I'm not trying to be mean though. Like people outside of Chestnut Hill, they don't care about Boston College football. It's really simple. It's college football in Massachusetts in Boston. Or is it just a New England thing? It's it's a it's a New England it's just college football is not that big in New England. That's just how it is. And there are lots of other awesome things in New England that New England people care about that are a lot of fun. So it's it's not a knock on New England. It's just that's not something that New England historically cares about. And I think that crosses over and sort of seeps into the Boston College thing. I think it's I I've said multiple times on this podcast. I think it's cool when Boston College is good. I think it's interesting. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they are relevant. And I think the it, it's also geography, too. I mean, the the heart of the ACC is sort of the mid-Atlantic and into the south. It, so when you have to go all the way up to Boston and there's really no other programs nearby other than Syracuse is, you know, there in upstate New York. I mean, it's it's just what it is. And that's okay. So since since this is a pretty brief conversation, we went more in depth in the other conferences. Is Syracuse the second most relevant team, even though they've had pretty legitimate success under Babers there for a couple of years? Last year sucked, but they were pretty nationally relevant back in 2018. Clemson win I think was in 2017. Maybe they were very nationally relevant going into last season. Last year sucked. Even that has Syracuse now dipped back down 
below a Duke, below, I don't think you can throw a Pittsburgh in there, below a, a Wake Forest. I think so, yeah. And, and I think I think the Duke versus the the New England argument is is interesting uh, because, I mean, it's the same thing as we were just talking about. Duke has fielded some surprisingly good teams in the last decade. It's that what Cutcliffe has done there is really interesting. But who cares about Duke football? Like nobody was Duke so bad that they fit the Kansas part of it. Like they were so bad for so long that everybody knew how bad they were, and everybody knew about Duke football. And when they finally burst through and got to that bowl game, and they had the really good season back in twenty, I want to say twenty fifteen. Were they so bad that even though they've kind of just plotted through the last few years and most people don't really pay attention to them, did they build up a, a build up enough relevancy being horrible in the late 90s, early 2000s that they have become nationally relevant kind of regardless of what they do? Mm, I, I, I would I would maybe a little bit, but I, I think if you want to make the argument that Duke is irrelevant, it's just it's kind of the same as the Boston College. It's just the matter of fact. It's Duke football. Like, do, yeah. the, is it? It's overshadowed massively by what's going on, you know, on the hard court in Durham, and then it's Duke football. Like, so I, I kind of get it. Uh, I, I would listen to arguments both ways. I, I feel like personally, it's the New England thing, but I don't think you're totally wrong if you want to make the argument the other way. I enjoyed the Pac-12 relevancy debate discussion a lot more than this one. Yeah. It, Pac, I thought the Pac-12 one was, it was, I mean, they were, they were just way different, uh, contrasts. Yeah. All right. Let's do hot seat. And there's a new rule here. If you place somebody on the hot seat, this is coming after you suggested that Jimmy yeah. Lake could be on the hot seat if Washington shit the bed this season. Will you admit before me, before America, and before God that you are just putting this rule in despite me because I came up with a fantastic Jimmy Lake theory that you don't want to just interact with it all i'm putting this new rule in to check you into not just saying something that asinine and you actually if you i thought i made a good case to be very clear if you said that and then came out with a really good recommendation a legitimate attainable recommendation it wouldn't have made your jimmy lake theory any better it was still just ridiculous (laughs) but i want you it wasn't okay call, call it dumb but don't call it ridiculous because i thought i laid the facts out pretty nicely I didn't think you did because there aren't any facts at all. Okay, when Washington goes five and seven this year, and there are rumblings coming out of uh, coming out of you know the little our little UW program, uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna pull up the audio here. I'm gonna so there's a new rule. There is a new rule. If you place somebody on the hot seat, if you even mention them as a potential hot seat candidate, you must name a legitimate, attainable, reasonable replacement for him. What if Do I refuse have- to play by these rules? Do you have anybody for the ACC, or are you just going to abstain from this? I'm totally abstaining from your add-on rule that you texted me about an hour before we got on the podcast. While I was I'll play by I'll play by the rules if you don't want to. I have one here, and, and I have a replacement. I'm a maverick, and I don't follow the rules. Dave Dorian. He signed a new deal three years ago, 2017. Signed another new deal in 2019, which came immediately after the whole Tennessee flirtation. Now entering year eight at NC State, which is just crazy to me because it seems like just yesterday he was getting there. He's only two years removed from back-to-back nine-win seasons. Never been done in program history. That was amazing. But we have seen how something like that can affect a coach's standing. We've seen how many times over 
I don't know how, how short of a blip here, how high level stability ends up hurting a coach. Do I think he's fired after this year? No, I, I don't think that really anything can happen that would get Dave Dorian fired. But I do think that something's going to happen that would get that burner turned on a little bit after a really, really ugly year. Recruiting has been kind of up and down. Same deal there as with the record. Some classes outside the top 50 a few years back, then put together a nice couple classes back to back. Now kind of back to like that low 30s, 40s range. Same thing there. Are some stakeholders now asking, hey, Dave, where are those top 25 classes again? I actually don't have the buyout numbers. I spent some time digging for that, but it's presumably high. That being one reason why I don't think he'd be gone after the season, even if they do go 2-9, and 3-8. and eight. I don't think he's gone after this year under any circumstance. Because of my new rule, though, if he is gone, I don't think it'll be some of the coaches that came up last time. I don't think it'll be Sonny Dykes, Chad Morris, he interviewed too, Mike Leach was talked around. I don't think any of those three are in play this time around. I think Billy Napier is in play. He was reportedly in play at Baylor last year uh, before they went with Dave Aranda. I think he's a choice at NC State. I think that Will Healy may be also in play, but he's probably a year or two early. Same for your boy Mike Houston, maybe Mm. Seth Luttrell if North Texas has a huge bounce back year. But I say if it were to happen this year, I think Billy Napier is the choice. What do you got? Um, I also have Dave Doran written down, and I I don't really have a ton to add on to what you said. I I think obviously not great last year when when NC State goes four and eight. Uh, but you with the track record that he has had and the consistency that he has brought to the program that is, let's face it, not one of the three best programs in the ACC. Uh, what neighborhood were they in? Do you remember from our rankings? Mm, it was like the seven, fourth? I think. No, they weren't that seven? high. Seven? No way. Four. They weren't that no. high? No way. Really? Maybe I'll go back and look. I'll have an answer by the end of the show. Uh, I, I just feel like... You can't, even if they have another bad year, if they go five and seven this year, I, I don't, like you said, I don't think he's fired, but the burner gets turned on. That was a good way to put it. That's, I've tried to describe a couple other uh, coaches that way, including Jimmy Lake last week. Uh, what, uh, I, I think the, one of the important pieces of context here about Doran is if you go look at how long in the shelf life for NC State coaches, he has already kind of exceeded that already going into this year average the the nc state coaches last about six years seven years going into year eight here so i don't know if he's going to have another two bad years and get fired i don't know if he's going to go nine and three this year or or nine and two and and jump to a better job uh if if a better job even this opens up which is kind of hard to imagine to be honest given everything that's going on uh but it feels like this is coming to the end of the line here one way or another. And I think that's an important thing to keep in mind if you're going to uh, have a conversation about the head coaching position at NC State. Who's the replacement? Oh, I, I told you, I'm not playing I'm not playing by these pirate rules that, that you have here to punish Is me. this just an ACC thing, or you're not going to play by these rules for the rest of the series? I haven't decided. Tell you what, I will allow you to abstain if you come up with an excellent recommendation for who would replace Jimmy Lake at Washington. By the way, NC State was in the sixth neighborhood. I forgot how big that neighborhood was. It was that massive one that started with like Michigan State, Minnesota, Houston, West Virginia, and we went all the way down to Wyoming, Utah State, Marshall uh, Army. We didn't rank the teams within those neighborhoods. If you didn't catch that episode, that series, I thought they went really well. I'd recommend going back and listening to that, especially if we don't have college football this fall. 
something really good to listen to. But NC State was kind of in the middle of that with UCLA, Cal, Pittsburgh, Duke, Northwestern, Indiana, Wake Forest, that ballpark. If you come up with a really good replacement for Jimmy Lake, I will let you abstain from the rest of the hot seat replacement talk for the next three episodes. Uh, off the top of my head, I'm never going to do that. You are way better at the, the coaching game than I am. But I will do some research, and we I will. this will be web-only content. How about that? We'll put it out See, on Twitter. You could have you just said like Brian Harson, and I would have been fine with it. That would have been yeah, amazing, but I don't. That doesn't answer. feel that doesn't feel like honest. That just feels like I'm picking for an answer to like shove in your face. That's fine. Do you think anybody else in this conference is on the hot seat? Because I can't even see an argument for anybody else. I, I know could, we fired Justin Fuente last year. I, and I, I don't even himself. think we did. I think I did. I think I need to own that. Uh, so he just shoved that right back in my face. Very, very good for him. Uh, cap off to you, sir. I could see this is kind of a Jimmy Lake uh, comment, right? Like, I'm not saying he's going to get fired, but the, the, the temperature could maybe get turned up a bit if Miami doesn't have a decent year this year. For I, I, I would worry about Manny Diaz. So who would replace him? Again, uh, just pick pick anybody in your universe. I'm just I'm just you know what I'm just the soothsayer. Okay, I'm just I'm just telling you what could happen. I just this episode has kind of fallen off a cliff in the last few minutes. <laughs> it, it really has. Let's put a bow on it here. We've asked this at the end of the last two episodes, and we're going to continue asking this. Looking at the ACC moving forward, where is this conference three years from right now? Is Clemson? We both agree is probably still on top. There's been no reason, even though dabble bitches and complains and threatens to leave all the time Clemson's still on top is Louisville legit is Florida State legit is North Carolina legit where is Virginia Tech what does the landscape of this conference look like going into the 2023 season uh first of all I've got to think that one of the two big time Florida ACC schools gets their shit together in the next two or three years Uh, that would be pretty surprising to me if Miami and Florida State both stayed kind of eh and, and in florida the, state's the more likely those two to absolutely get yes I, we we had a what i thought was a really good conversation about miami when we were doing those neighborhoods about like you know you talk about miami like they're one of the big time programs in college football but they just haven't really been that in quite a while now uh so i, I think florida state is by far the better bet to get there uh and, and sort of challenge clemson again if you look at that atlantic division uh i I, I don't think Clemson is going to be bad or anything. I think they'll still be the team in the conference. But three years from now, 2023, will be pushing a decade of this hyper-dominant status that Clemson has achieved. And historically in college football, that just doesn't happen very often. Uh, so if, if we were to see it happen twice, sort of at the same time with Alabama and Clemson, that would be... I don't want to say without precedent, without really looking into the numbers, but that would be that would be pretty rare. And I think that they would still be on top, but they maybe the field has come toward them a little bit. Maybe they have uh, one or two bona fide challengers. I'm just struggling to see Clemson continuing to suck up all the oxygen in the room at this level uh, three years out. That seems unlikely to me. I'm struggling seeing how if we take like the hierarchy, the general, people are going to disagree on which you know spots different teams are going into the season. But I think if you generally take the hierarchy in each division, so in the Atlantic, it's it's Clemson first, and then in some order, Louisville and Florida State. Then you have Wake, NC State, Syracuse, and Boston College. Below them, 
in the Coastal, it's North Carolina or Virginia Tech. Some people might have Miami up there. That's fine. But generally, you're going to have those teams at the top. Miami's somewhere sniffing their heels, and then Pittsburgh, and then down to Virginia, Duke, and Georgia Tech. With the exception of Georgia Tech, because I do think that it within three years, they'll have gotten into the at least like the top three maybe in that division. With the exception of Georgia Tech, I think the hierarchy as it currently sits going into this season would be almost identical three years from now. Those teams might be on different paths, but I have a hard time, like in the Atlantic, for example, if you said three years from now, maybe you could flip like Wake Forest down to the bottom, a little bit farther down if they can't retain Dave Clawson, something like that. But it seems highly likely, as in going into this season, with Clemson, Louisville, and Florida State at the top of that division, that we're going to be in a different spot three years from now. And that seems like it might be rare for a conference to be like that going into this year and looking ahead to three years from now. And I get that it's really hard to see dramatic shifts for a conference, but this one seems particularly interesting because if you take out my opinion on Georgia Tech, it sure seems like we're going to have the exact same hierarchy three years from now. I don't know. Three years is a, is a long time. I would I would bet on something being different. You know, somebody somebody's going to fall apart. Some coach is going to have a scandal and have to resign. It's not foreseeable. Somebody, you know, stuff happens. This is just how it works. So I, I would bet on something being different that far into the future. All right. So we've now done the Big 12, Pac-12, and ACC. Three more episodes to go. SEC, Big 10, and then one on the group of five. I've kind of had the same feeling as you. I feel like every time we log in here, I'm wondering if it's going to be the last episode that we do in this conference series and what in the fuck we're going to talk about for the next four months. I mean, even if we have a spring season starting February 1st, what type of content are we going to pull out of our ass for the next five months? Uh, We could do like interviews with girls we dated 10 years ago. I bet people would really love that content. Yeah, I, I I don't have that for you though. Could we get your wife on here like once a month just to like get her perspective on like big 10 recruiting yeah we could do that could ask her about scott satterfield yeah. <laughs> well played that was a little nice little inside jab that uh we'll be back gonna uh, know we'll be back on thursday with a new conference either the sec or the big 10 we haven't chosen that yet if you would prefer one or the other hit us up on twitter at high motor pod we would love to have you back with us on thursday thanks for checking out the high motor podcast i saw a friend today it had been a while we forgot each other's names But it didn't matter Cause deep inside The feeling still remained the same We talked of knowing one Before you've met And how you feel more than you see And other worlds that lie in spaces in